A lot of astrology out there, it's kind of used to serve people in power. Only more recently has it been reclaimed by people who are queer, who are people of color, and practicing for each other. Alice Sparkly Cat, who goes by the name Ace, is an astrologer and the author of the fascinating book, Post-Colonial Astrology, Reading the Planets Through Capital, Power, and Labor. Now living in Brooklyn, they moved from Zhengzhou, China, to a small town in Iowa when they were five years old. To get a sense of what Ace is all about, here is the last paragraph of their website's bio. Quote, because astrology is so much about the audacity of believing in the wrong things, of spiritualizing with humor and magicking politically, it is a worthy antidote to the everyday gaslighting that race, gender, and class violence use to warp us psychically. My mission with astrology is this to take back the language of the cosmos from capitalism and supremacy and to use it for the creation of communities of care. For our episode, we will discuss these ideas and learn more about what astrology has done and the potential for what it can do if we are willing to break it down and rebuild again. Hi, Ace. Thanks so much for coming on and talking to us all about astrology. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I was listening to your um, previous episode about astrology, too. Sounds, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, I think that uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about, for sure. Um, and of course, I've been enjoying your book as well. And uh, I've pulled some questions, and I think we can have a great conversation. So I would love to just start, let's get to know you and how you first became interested in astrology, which is a huge question, but you take that any direction you'd like. Oh, sure. Yeah. I started getting into it in like 2015, something like that. So, I mean... I think I had a lot of people get into it. I was going through a lot of personal crisis. Yeah, I was talking to my roommate about this just now, actually, because I'm moving. So I was reflecting on all my like, previous moves. <laughs> I was like, oh man, that was like a year I lived in. And, like the room must have been cursed or something. I was in this abusive marriage. Like one of my roommates was just like not eating, drinking all the time. Another one got stabbed. I was like, what is going on with this room? But yeah, I was in this abusive marriage and I actually like had some kind of psychotic breakdown at that point. I was almost rested three times uh, and then I just needed like a way to be able to talk to myself and I found out about astrology and it was a community actually because at that point astrology wasn't super popular so it was like a small community of people who were kind of into it so i think anytime when you're going through something and you find like a language and also like some group support that's gonna really help you metabolize the process of change definitely and what does the practice of astrology mean to you in terms of like a day-to-day -day practice yeah. It's so different for everyone. 
Because some people are like, oh, I'm a musician, like, you know, it's part of how I just create with sounds. Some people are like, you know, I create fictions. I use astrology, cosmology to kind of create different worlds, things like that. And then some people like me who do client work, actually. Yeah. Uh, so I do client work day to day. I do client work. And a lot of that, it's using astrology but also other modalities too there's other modalities involved to just find stories that are within people and then what that does is it helps people understand themselves as they're going through transitions it helps people narrate a sense of who they are too and there's like a sense of fun and play too because you're working with different characters different body feelings too i mean that can be excruciating and it can also be really fun <laughs> like as someone who's like you know on the spectrum and like has some type of black and white morality that i'm you know exercising more self-awareness of over now astrology it, it was torturing because the questions that were torturing that were like why is it so northern hemisphere focused well what about climate change it's you know it's tropical astrology so then it's based on the climate and then wow why does it center alexandria but also england like you know when you calculate your chart in western astrology you're actually recalculating the time of your birth to england and then doing another translation so it's just kind of bonkers and then like i was just exploring these questions in depth with other people through different workshops here in brooklyn things like that before the pandemic most of my practice was also local that's when i was writing the book so these are questions that i was discussing out loud with people in physical space not so much online I think that that's part of why I didn't want to come for astrology, even though we kind of are a debunking show. I don't really like to call us that because I don't really think that's what we do. But one would think that we would be sort of addressing this from the idea that it's somehow false. But I don't think that that's very interesting. And that's not really what you're interested in in your book either. So I was hoping you would talk about how you started connecting these dots that you do in your book between astrology and things like colonialism and capitalism. I mean, it is really connected. If you look at some of the earliest astrology books, I'm talking about from like ancient Rome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like a lot of, like, the first book that Tatami wrote is called Universe. It's about universal astrological concerns. And it's like, it's very much like a modern book on astrology about the signs, planets. But the next three books, it's, it's about what he calls particular astrological concerns. And these are about cultural differences between different regions and then differences in what he calls temperaments. This is before modern race theory, well before modern race theory was a thing. But there's always been like a religious or spiritual component to how people are thinking about race, about how people are classifying different people. So yeah, it's always been a thing. They've always been growing in conjunction to each other. And you have to keep in mind, like, a lot of astrology out there, it's kind of used to serve people in power. And only more recently has it been kind of reclaimed by people who are queer, 
who are people of color and practicing for each other. So again, astrology is a thing that lives in a lot of different worlds. Do you have any idea how astrology started to become more accessible to people who weren't in power? It depends on when, because there's many moments when astrology has become more accessible to people who don't like hold like a huge amount of social political power. So there's a lot of different moments. And there's a lot of different moments where different religions and spiritualities are more accessible to people who don't have a lot of power to. So yeah, that's an interesting question because yeah, that really depends. You know, right now it's like, okay, Reagan using astrology, but then a lot of queer people are also using astrology. So there's that kind of similar dynamic between the world wars in Europe too, where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, hey, this like dictator uses astrology, but so are a lot of people that, you know, he was trying to kill too. So again, astrology is constantly being made accessible to people who don't have a lot of power at different points. I have noticed, and I noticed this prior to actually reading your book, and it was so affirming when I I came into what you were talking about, how uh, astrology has kind of lived longer as a right-wing practice than a left-leaning one. And that was true for the Reagans, for Nixon, for a lot of high-ranking Nazis in Germany. You mentioned not really knowing why that is, but I was curious if you had come up with any ideas since then about why we're seeing it more when it comes to power in right-wing circles. I have no idea. Yeah, that's something that I think I wrote an email to you about this that's like always been confusing to me. Where, like, astrology tends to get really popular during periods of fascism. But then the people practicing it are not always fascists. Like, sometimes they are. And then sometimes it's people who are kind of like, the fascists are trying to kill, too. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. It's honestly just such a curious puzzle where, I, yeah, I have no idea. I mean, I think the thing that continues to come up in my mind is the desire to hold on to power and the desire to create more power. And if one allows themselves to imagine that there are powers that we can't see, why wouldn't those already obsessed with power want to use that as well, right? That's true, yeah. And then maybe it's like this whole like Christianity thing too. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes sense. I think we definitely find in our show that folks on the right tend to indulge in fantastical thinking, however you want to classify that, more so than the left wing. And that's not exactly something that I grew up thinking to be true. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely true. I mean, just looking at different conspiracy theories, like there's definitely a pattern. (laughs) And I think that was really interesting, too, because so much of conspiracy thought can be around kind of occultism and government and things like that. And I found a grain of that to be true in making the this series. Okay, wow. That's so interesting. Yeah, right? I don't mm. know. It's, it's very strange. Yeah. Another thing that you talk about a lot that I think relates to this is about how when whiteness is threatened, we see these resurgences of astrology. Um, and that goes back... I mean, I know we can't exactly contextualize whiteness as a Roman thing since race being a a more recent construct than that. But you trace kind of the idea, the concept of whiteness to Rome. Would you be able to talk about that a little bit? 
Well, Romans were not white because, like, I mean, white nose was invented, like, really re- more recently. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, with quote-unquote classical Western idealism, these folks trace their own lineage back to Rome. And that's a ahistorical process. Um, and, for example, like, Trump is really into neoclassical architecture, actually. This kind of thing. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, he loves it. He like I think he wanted to like make a law where all government buildings were designed in a style or something. Wow. Yeah, it was kind of just like this, I don't know, aesthetic obsession. Roman astrology, it wasn't like this cultural monolith. It had like a lot of different theories involved. So like the ascendant, like the rising sign that we use now and what we think of as this monolithic Roman astrology, that comes from Egypt. And then there's like, you know, there's lunar mansions that are coming from South Asia. And China's influenced by South Asia, but it has a different number of lunar mansions. A lunar mansion? Lunar mansions. That's really, I, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And what does that mean exactly? Uh, it's just the different places that the moon is in in a day. So there's 28 or 27 of them. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many different techniques that come from many, many different places. I mean, there's the Venus cycle that was used in South America. There's like astrologies where you look at the negative space between stars, not the stars. Yeah, there's a lot of different types of cosmologies or astrologies, whatever you want to use. And in Persia, Persia was the empire that united a couple different strands. And then what happened with the Greeks was that they were emulating Persian cosmologies because they were a very young culture. And then Rome kind of swallowed the Greek astrology. And then that astrology was translated into Arabic during the Golden Age of Islam, moved out of what we think of now as Europe. And then it was retranslated back into Latin during the Renaissance. So, yeah, many different types. And then the reason why some of them are more popular now is because of these historical movements. I mean, there's something about astrology just because the planets that we more commonly see are named after these Roman gods, where I think for some people it does have that texture. And again, not all the time. It has very different textures for very different people. But I think sometimes it has that certain texture. And then there's like this whole idea of like, these are Roman principles kind of thing. So there is this connection between astrology and ancient Rome, even though there's so many different types of astrologies that originate in different places, they come together, they separate. So it's not like this Roman thing, but when we think of like popular Western astrology, we're thinking of these Roman names a lot of the time. So I think that uh, sometimes there's a connection with just like the aesthetic of the astrology. Definitely. And you structured your book in a really interesting way. Would you be able to talk about that structure and why you decided to format it that way? Yeah. There's, so there's a lot of different types of astrologies. The popular ones that are Western astrology that are being practiced today is like traditional, evolutionary, things like that. And then, I mean, the common denominator is that we use seven planets. So if you know about the seven planets then you kind of know everything about astrology because everything else 
in the language, the signs, the aspects, the houses, they're all based on the planets. So the book goes through each planet and then each planet is part of a dichotomy as well. The luminaries, which are the sun and moon, they're opposed to Saturn and then Venus and Mars and then Jupiter and Mercury. So then we're reading each planet. Each planet is going to be a dual meaning, first of all, because it's an archetypal language. It's not like a symbol where it means one thing like this is, I don't know, like orange. It's going to mean a series of opposites. That's how archetypes tend to function. So it's going to be orange and blue. And then we're reading each planet as a dichotomy, as a dual thing in and of itself. But then they also have these contrasting relationships to the other planet that is opposite from itself. So the book is organized. We talk about the luminaries and the Saturn and then together and then Venus and Mars and then together. The first one is about capital with the luminaries and Saturn. The second one is about power. And then with Mercury and Jupiter, we're talking about labor. Yeah, that's so interesting. You've talked about astrology being similar to race because they're both social constructs, and you also call them forms of magical thinking that are not rational, and that race is not experienced as fictional, but astrology is. And I think all of that is really, really vital and really fascinating in terms of putting astrology in a more important context than, oh, is this real? Is this fake? Yeah. Lauren Goldner writes about this. He calls it a cosmological grid. And he's tracing the roots of racism, and he finds it in Christianity. Sylvia Winter does something really similar, where she writes about the human being praxis. And the thing about race is that, I mean, it's make-believe, but then it affects our real lives. And then so, yeah, that's not very fun. And then the thing about astrology is that it's this tool of narration, and then we get to tell our own stories using it. And then by telling those stories, we can create new connections, we can build power together. And then that's very fun. So, I mean, I believe in storytelling, not so much like, you know, believing in this fiction, this make-believe magical thinking process, but I really believe in storytelling. And actually, your first book is called Astrology and Storytelling. So would you want to talk to us a little bit about that work and how those kind of roles as astrologer and storyteller can play in relation to one another? Yeah, that was the book I made for a class I was teaching. It was a workshop. And then I just put all the materials together for a book. So I'm redoing it. I want to redo it. It's a type of session that I do with people right now. And then what happens is, like, we look at, you know, the picture we have of the moment of your birth. And then we're trying to see what story you want to tell. What story is just, like, waiting to come out to be listened to from you. And the thing about working with the imagination is that you can physically process intense emotional experiences without actually having to relive like a moment of trauma. Mm. And that's a really powerful tool. It's kind of like, you know, like feel inside and kind of go, yeah, what kind of character is this Mars? What is it afraid of? What does it want? What doesn't it want? Yeah, what does it have to do with this more critical part of myself? It's kind of like internal family systems mm-hmm. therapy almost, which like I'm not trained in that. I'm actually trained in like a different type of 
thing, but you know, a lot of people know that you know you're looking at yourself as a multitude that's guided by self. And it's kind of like that kind of therapy, except for we're like going a little bit further. We're actually making like a really convoluted story too. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah it is fun. And it's kind of like you get to have parts of yourself in conversation with each other like characters would be. Yeah, totally. I really like that part of astrology. I think that also leads to something that you mentioned. You mentioned that these identity categories that we have today can kind of feel limiting, whether that's race, gender, sexuality. They just can sometimes get a little suffocating because they feel a little clinical. And you talk about how astrology gives us a lot more nuance in order to explore ourselves. Yeah, I think the categories, they feel limiting because they're created to limit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They definitely feel limiting. The thing about a chart is that it's the moment of your birth, but then the sky is always moving. So the chart's actually always changing in meaning. That's why we're so interested in like what story wants to be told right now, because that story will change too. Yeah, definitely. And how does that ability to see yourself as a changing story, have you seen that help your clients versus like a set fix? Because sometimes we think of astrology like I am a Leo. This is who I am. These are my fixed traits versus a changing being based on the planets. Does that way of thinking about the self, have you found that to help people? Totally. Yeah. I have clients who I've been seeing for years. I mean, I'm just impressed. Like, wow, totally transformed. So yeah, it does help people. And then I think like the kind of more fixed delineation, delineation is a whole other practice in astrology. There's client work. I don't delineate during client work. I'm never like, this is this. And then this is what it means. Um, I'm always like, okay, there's this, and then what does it mean to you? Okay, it's connected to this. Can we talk about this aspect of your life? So it's a very different process. Delineation is like a writing practice for astrologers, or like an art-making practice. Maybe it's done through images. Um, so on my website, I have delineations, and that's just kind of like my own, like, oh, hey, here's this essay I wrote about a placement or something. It has like very little to do with client work like maybe it's informed by it because you know you see a lot of different people and you notice different patterns but what a placement means to each person is so different and it's significant in different ways so the delineation part it's never really part of like a client session it's kind of something that astrologers do for fun maybe for our own egos or something <laughs> <laughs> more after this you ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready-to-eat in just 
two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week. And you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American and Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Would you be okay with describing a little bit of what your sessions are like with your clients? I assume they're all different, but maybe if there's a structure you go in with. Well, they are different, and then it's really according to what people need. I have an intake form, so you kind of tell me beforehand what you would like to spend time on, too. So I've had time with clients where we're like, we just talked about kind of like one recent rupture in their life. Like, hey, you know, we're processing this really recent life event. Sometimes it's a little bit broader than that, and then we're kind of just feeling around in different places. It's usually a mix of the two. That's kind of like a initial session with me or a follow-up. That's kind of like that type of session. And then I have the storytelling session, which is a different type of session. And then in that, we're going through your chart, and then I'm trying to... Uh, Maybe ask you questions, we have a starting point, and then we get really curious about like, why does this character only wear gray and then can only communicate with this other character? And then we're feeling into the importance of that. Um, so it's two different types of sessions I offer. One is kind of like, I guess we're <laughs> narrating with your real life, and then one is um, we're intentionally storytelling. Something I think about a lot is that no matter how far we try to run from it into rationality and science and things like that, which are obviously so valuable, I think we're hardwired to need some kind of folk magic. And I think astrology can do that for us in a way that is pretty safe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe not astrology. Like, astrology isn't providing that safety, but I think people do because we, I mean... Yeah, some of us care about each other. I mean, yeah, I don't really believe in rationality. Like, I I think that astrology is part of the imagination, like that whole, uh, what's it called? Like, you know, bias confirmation thing. But mm -hmm. I also think that imagination is mystical and it works. And then so, yeah, there has to be a power in that. Definitely. And I mean, maybe that has to do with what we were talking about 
with self-empowerment and people in power. There's a lot of it that's about power. And I think that you explore that a lot in your book. Would you be interested in talking a little bit more about the way that you see astrology as we know it now, Western astrology, and even its relation to the language of power and capitalism? Yeah, that's a really great question, really interesting question to ask in June, like the weekend of Pride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so queer, like how astrology is being practiced today in the West is so queer. And then queer culture and people definitely is entangled with capital. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I hoped that the queers wouldn't take it personally that we were doing an astrology series this month. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Getting in trouble. No, I think that there's a clear resurgence of interest in astrology. I mean, I don't know if resurgence is the word, but there's a type of reclaiming happening within the queer community. Would you want to give any insight into what you see happening and why you think it's happening in terms of the obsession with astrology in our dear queer communities. I mean, it's just fun. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, queers like to have fun. We like to talk about Venus, talk shit about Venus. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we definitely do. Has your own queer identity, queerness been informed by astrology? Yeah, probably, because actually, like, I mean, yeah, that's part of the whole getting into astrology thing. It's coming out of divorce, and I'm like, okay, I am super gay, like, let's get into this astrology community. <laughs> and then, so, I mean, there's, like, organizations about astrology that are, like, very much less queer, you know, like, larger organizations. So I didn't even know about all of that. I was just into astrology for all the gay people. <laughs> I loved the conclusion of your book, which you close out with the adage, as above, so below, but you point out that we often don't talk about the second part, which is, as below, so above. Would you tell us, just expand on what you meant by that when we reach the conclusion of your book? Oh, totally. Yeah. And I mean, in some sense, the as above, so below is like, you know, from the top, it influences the bottom however you want to make up those terms, but the bottom also influences the top. And that's what Foucault talks about. This is also just kind of how power is created too. Bottoms have a lot of power. <laughs> that's a nice pride sentiment. Thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so you're saying that we not only are being influenced by the stories that have been told about astrology, but we are also creating new stories about astrology. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, yeah. How do you think we should be revising this story we tell about astrology? I think just in the most fun way possible, because there's something about like having fun that just takes you to the future. It makes you keep living. I feel like most of our deities, our ancestors just had like so much fun creating these deities. Something I read about, but we didn't really talk about in our episodes, was kind of the evolution of Western astrology from a 
predictive, something that attempts to fortune tell or see the future to something that is identity focused, which kind of followed history as we became more focused on understanding the self. And I know that speaking of Western culture, we have kind of Carl Jung coming in with his archetypes, starting to put out these different ideas of sun signs. And, and and then there was Alan Leo as well in England who were recreating astrology into an exploration of the self. Do you have anything to add to that? I just think that that's like a really interesting change that says a lot about where we are and where we were in culture. Yeah, Alan Lale's one of the great-grandfathers of modern astrology. We've been talking about traditional so far, and he's one of the great-grandfathers of modern astrology. Same with Dane Rudar. And then they have kind of, yeah, kind of different things they draw from. Alan Lale was really into India, and then Dane Rudar was really into China and Japan. And then there's Carl Jung. He was an astrologer. BTS, who reinterprets Carl Jung's work. Uh, into the contemporary age. Yeah, the thing about like, you know, kind of, what's it called, like person-centered astrology, or psychological astrology, that's yeah. another type of astrology. Like Liz Green is a psychological astrologer. During Buddha's time, astrology was becoming more individual. And Buddha was against this because he didn't want to give the individual more importance than necessary. So yeah, it's happened many times. It's not actually that new. And then there is always like a future making aspect to astrology. And I think that's kind of the prediction part because it's a storytelling language. Stories are here to create prophecy. They're here to create a sense of future. Mm. I mean, you know, we use it to just metabolize emotions. But part of that vision is for the empowerment of the client. But it's also with the whole idea that like you're trying to imagine a different future in how Angela Davis intended the term too. I can't remember the exact words, but she's always saying like, you have to imagine that there's a different world that's possible. And when we talk about the future, we also talk about the past in a way, right? And, and you've talked about studying trauma-focused work. How do you think astrology can help people through trauma? Uh, maybe not directly, but how have you found it to be helpful? Well, healing from trauma, that's a really, like, huge thing that has many layers. Like, to heal from trauma, like, you know, trauma hurts you on a variety of levels. It hurts you socially, it hurts you financially, it hurts your health. So astrology, you know, it can be a part of this creativity which can move people out of maybe collapsed states and into more active states. But the healing trauma, it has to happen on a financial layer. It has to happen on a physical layer. It has to happen on a social layer. So it has to happen you know, like collectively, I think there's not too much that a single practice or a single relationship can do, even though there's a lot that it can do that always like kind of surprises me. But yeah, it has to happen on many layers, too. So how do we hold astrology accountable while making it our own? Yeah, and I mean, that's that's a really good question. It's kind of just asking how do we hold each other accountable while making our relationships our own? 
And I guess there's different answers to that. And there's th different things that get in the way, too. But I think that's a question I ask myself every day. What do you think about it today? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> today? <laughs> well, I mean, today I was with a client. And then part of that time together, I mean, you know, I never share anything about clients, but part of that time together, it was really cool. Like, yeah. Hmm. So that's why I'm so into the fun. It was like, you know, hey, we're, we're processing some things and having some fun. So that's what it means to me today. That's good. I love that. And I think, you know, fun, right? Do we get much fun in our spirituality in the West? I don't really think so. So I think that it's pretty vital <laughs> to have a little bit more fun when we're talking about uh, things unseen. Totally. Yeah. Because, I mean, for a queer spirituality, it has to be fun. It's got to be. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm interested to hear about your interest in astrology. I feel like it's something I'm more and more curious about because you've obviously done like, you know, so much research into it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for asking. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, really, I've just always had a, a passing interest in astrology because, as you mentioned, it's a lot of fun. I'm a Leo, so we like to know about ourselves and talk about ourselves and find out new things about ourselves. I think that, really, I didn't know any of this stuff, but for each series we do, it's like a ton of research. So I just mm -hmm. read some books. Uh, the Faded Sky was a really good book oh, yeah. that was really, mm -hmm. really enlightening. Um, also by, I think, an astrologer, but really history focused. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think now I'm I'm just I love anything that helps me trace history. And I think that's kind of what it does for you, right? It's like mm -hmm. as I mentioned it's like okay, so for a while western astrology was really focused on things like treasure hunting. Mm -hmm. Like what was <laughs> happening, right? Like in that time astrology meant this because that's what we were obsessed with at that time, mm -hmm. right? So like when we get this personality-based astrology, we can kind of trace that to the industrial revolution and and, and fashion even and the ways that we started to become obsessed with understanding ourselves and, you know, how that is mm -hmm. an expression of capitalism as well, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that, that that's where I'm at right now. And, and it's, been, it's been really amazing to learn and, of course, really surprising with all these Nazi astrologers and, you know, Nancy Reagan and all of the above. So, yeah, yeah I guess that, you know, that would be where I'm coming from. And I think that you're kind of coming from something a little bit similar to that mm -hmm. yeah totally wow yeah yeah the comparison to fashion is really interesting yeah there's a right-wing astrologer who's pretty big right now is he an american is he seems like american i'm not sure weird what's yeah. his do you know anything about him like what's he doing <laughs> what kind of fashion <laughs> shit is he up to i don't know because i'm not that engaged with his stuff it looks like he's a racer and also entrepreneur and DJ as well. Oh, <laughs> triple threat. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't really engaged with him. Like he, I don't know. He was like commenting on my stuff on Twitter or something. Like kind of like being a little, you know, mean. So I blocked him. Right. So I, yeah. I, but then someone mentioned, someone who was doing a study on astrology mentioned like, yeah, have you heard of this guy? He's like a right wing astrologer. Weird. Well, I guess they are still around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perhaps in this resurgence of white supremacy, we might find more fascist 
astrologers? I, I hope not, but I think we might. So how do we how do we combat that within our own communities? Like how do we how do you think we use astrology as a political tool and and as a, like a personal tool? I mean, just by supporting uplifting people, like yeah, people that the eugenicists are trying to erase, like just by supporting people. Definitely, and like you see community. I mean, you see communities form around this a lot, and mm-hmm. maybe that's something that we should continue to think about when people express their annoyances at astrology is that I think most people don't consider it important because it's some sort of irrefutable truth. It's it's important because of the byproducts, right? Oh, like totally. The ways yeah. that we can connect. Yeah, 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 definitely. I think so. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been so cool to actually talk to someone who values this work the way that you do no thank you thanks for creating this space and talking with me asking i mean so many great questions i mean just doing so much research too yeah same to you (laughs) (laughs) this was american hysteria make sure you pick up post-colonial astrology Reading the Planets Through Capital, Power, and Labor by Alice Sparkly Cat. You can follow them on both Twitter and Instagram at Alice Sparkly Cat, and that's cat with a K. If you're looking for more of our show, you can head to patreon.com slash American Hysteria to get access to Hysteria Home Companion, where producer Miranda and I discuss all kinds of different things that have to do with the topic, including stories and thoughts from the cutting room floor. You can also get access to my other podcast, Walk With Me, where I go on walks and talk about things a little more personally than I do on the show. We also have been going geocaching lately while I get stung all over my body, including my face, with nettles. That's patreon.com slash American Hysteria. You can follow us on social media at American Hysteria Podcast on Instagram and at Amer Hysteria on Twitter. This episode has sound by Clear Camo Studios and was produced by Miranda Zickler and hosted by me, Chelsea Weber Smith. So thanks, as always, for listening, and we will be back soon with brand new topics for you. Have a great week.